seated. This afternoon, we have gathered together for a Christian memorial service of praise, thanksgiving, and hope directed to our great triune God conducted in loving memory of Frank Longoria. On behalf of Frank's wife, Mary, his children, his grandchildren, and his family, thank you for joining us this afternoon as we seek the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the consolations of God's word, and as we renew our hope in the certainty of the resurrection of the dead through Christ. The psalmist wrote, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Then the writer of the book of Hebrews writes, Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. And for those who wrestle with so many questions as we consider death, as we face the loss of a loved one, Paul writes, For now we see through a glass darkly. Someday we shall understand even as we are understood. This encourages us that someday all of our questions, all of our concerns will be answered and everything will be made clear. Even as we grieve, we can rejoice together this afternoon because Frank had placed his confidence in Jesus Christ and our God had provided to him a living hope guaranteed to believers through the resurrection of our Savior Jesus Christ. So let's continue our worship now in prayer. We praise you, our almighty God, that you are sovereign. You're the maker of heaven and earth. You're the governor and sustainer of all things, the God in whom we live and we move and we have our being. You give to us life and breath and all things. You declare the end from the beginning. You numbered our days when as yet there was not one of them. It's Christ, the savior of sinful men and women, the Lord of glory, who has called himself, who's revealed himself to be the resurrection and the life, and who's gone before us to prepare a place for us. So we pray that all would find peace in the promise of the gospel, in the person of Jesus Christ, in his work on our behalf. We ask on this day that you would be a refuge and a strength, a very present help in trouble. We ask for you to enable us to know the comfort of your spirit and of your word to console us in grief. So may the gospel be most beautiful to us today as we recognize that the curse of death holds no true power over us. So may we be drawn closer to Christ during this service, during this memorial. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to sing together at this time. If you have your bulletin, the words will be printed there. Let's stand together as we sing My Savior first of all.
the first to welcome me. I shall know him, I shall know him, and redeemed by his side I shall stand. I shall After 33 years of marriage, you kind of prepare for stuff like this with, <laughs> with your wife. You, fig you figure you're going to need to provide something. It's kind of unfair to be brought up here after a hymn like that. And uh, I think I'll just go ahead of my wife because she was planning on going first, but I think she needs a little respite. I'm reading to you what was sent to us by Bible Baptist Church. I don't know if you're familiar, but we came from California and... Um, we were members of the, the church for quite a long time. And Psalms 116.15 says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. I hope to begin by remembering that my grief is understood by my Lord. But he views Frank's death as precious because Frank was precious in his eyes. Frank was saved by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. God deemed him to be worthy more than silver and gold. He gave all that he had, the very last drop of the blood of his son for Frank. Frank is finally home. <clears throat> Excuse me. Frank is finally home with the one who died. <clears throat> that he might live. This is why the death of his saints is so precious in the sight of the Lord. Yet my Lord also feels our pain as we say goodbye to our friend, parent, and loved one. We already miss him terribly. Frank's savior became human flesh and felt the pain that we feel in death. Even though he knows that in a few short moments, 
excuse me, even though he knew that in a few short moments he was going to raise Lazarus again from the, from the grave, he stood there outside Lazarus' sepulcher and wept. John 11.35, I too weep today as we say goodbye to my friend Frank. It is not with hopeless weeping, I've never seen him again, but the weeping of saying goodbye to a friend that I will not see again here on earth. The next time we meet, we'll be in the presence of our savior. In 1984, I arrived in Los Angeles to plant Bible Baptist Church. One of the first people that I met was Mary Longoria, who helped tremendously in preparing the building, excuse me, in preparing the building that we rented to be suitable for the church meetings. Through Mary, I met her girls and her husband, Frank. Frank and Mary's daughters were part of the first baptism in Los Angeles. We rented a baptistry in the church in a church for their baptism, but Frank was saved a little while later. I could, uh, excuse me, uh, I could find nowhere that would allow us to use their baptistry. As I, as I discussed this with Frank, who was now saved and wanted to be baptized, he said, I have a swimming pool that we could use. It reminded me of the Ethiopian of the Ethiopian eunuch saying, see, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Acts 8.36. Frank was baptized in his own backyard pool and became an active member of Bible Baptist Church on June 15, 1985. He and Mary were, the act, were active in serving in our, in our children's program and Frank served the Lord for a while as a deacon of the church. We have missed him since he moved to South Carolina and we will miss him more since our savior called him home to himself. Mary and, uh, and girls, my heart aches for yours, for yours today as I say goodbye to Frank. But I know that our hearts will be comforted by the one who also weeps with us and shares our sorrows and griefs. Because of Calvary, Pastor Michael D. McCubbins. So I'm, I'm not really sure where to begin, so I had to write some things down. Um, uh, so my dad, um, when we were little, um, he was, my dad's a private person and he's very reserved, um, but he had a great sense of humor. And um, so when we were little, my mom worked the night shift um, and so dad would be the one to wake us up in the morning. Every morning he would come into our rooms and he would sing, kitties, time to get up and go to school and learn the golden rule. We heard that every day for years. Um, and then he would, he would always have his cup of coffee. Um, I don't remember a time not seeing him in the morning without his coffee and singing, humming, whistling, um, and as we were getting up and getting ready, the routine was always the same. Um, there was the rundown, the checklist. And just before he headed out the door, one final inspection and reminders. The checklist consisted of making sure 
that the windows were all closed and locked, check. Back door locked, check. Side door, check. All the burners on the stove off, check. If, if we were ironing something, we had to unplug it before he left. Um, if our curling irons or hair dryers were in, we were told to unplug those um, also. And last but not least, he would remind us again to double check the door once we locked it to make sure it was truly locked. And that routine lasted a long time. Um, honestly, it still lasted into his adult years because whenever we were getting ready to go someplace, he would go through the, the same routine. Um, and we all got a, a kick out of it and would remind him of it often. And he would just chuckle and say, yep. <laughs> um, um, he also had the same MO with the car. Um, not so much for me, but I know for my sisters, once they started driving, if they were gonna go somewhere, um, he had to take the car to put gas in it. He had to check the tires. If they were a little low, he would take the car to put air in the tires. Um, he also checked the oil and um, did all of that stuff and gave you instructions on what to do and what not to do. Um, Juanita had actually posted on Facebook. Um, she was here in South Carolina and it was his birthday, but he was out buying tires for her car. Um, that's just how he really showed his love for us by worrying about all these little things for us. Um, you know, also when we were little, um, we had a pool and we loved to go swimming and go night swimming. And my dad was always encouraging us to go night swimming. Um, and we thought, oh, this is great. You know, it's nine o'clock, 10 o'clock at night and we get to go swimming in the pool. Well, as we got a little older, we started thinking he encouraged us to do that so that he didn't have to run the air conditioning at night. We were already cooled <laughs> off. <laughs> um, he was also a one-man neighborhood watch. Um, you could find him in the evening out watering the lawn. Um, he knew all the neighbors, all the kids in the neighborhood. He knew what cars they drive. Um, and so he was always taking care. Um, my parents had a, in California, there was a bench outside the front door and it would not be uncommon to pull up to the house and he would be sitting out there either early in the morning having his coffee or in the evening. Um, he just liked to be out there so he could see what was happening in the neighborhood. And the same thing here in South Carolina, I'm sure that any one of you have that vision of pulling up to their house and he's sitting in that rocking chair on the front porch. And all of the neighbors knew him. He knew all of the neighbors, their kids, everything. Um, one time um, here, my dad, I, I'm not exactly sure what he was doing, but he was in his car and he was wearing a beanie and he drove past his house down to the cul-de-sac and back up. And right away, someone, a new neighbor in the neighborhood, posted on the Facebook page 
to be careful of this old, creepy-looking man driving slowly through the neighborhood. <laughs> and right away, the neighbors are like, that's your neighbor. You should get to know him. He's a very nice man. They're, they're a really nice family. <laughs> when my dad found out about it, he laughed so hard he was crying. <laughs> um, that's, just, that's just him. Um, I do remember when I was a kid and I was sick, I always knew that he would show up with 7-Up um, and a candy bar, and mine was always a Snickers. Um, so when the grandkids came along, there was no one more qualified than him to babysit because we knew that absolutely nothing was going to happen on his watch. He loved his grandkids. Um, I kind of feel like I was a little jealous at first because he was taking them places and spending money on them that, um, that he really didn't do for us all that much. Um, he, he took them to baseball games and he showed up at recitals and concerts and sporting events and um, just did things that a grandfather would do and he loved watching them and playing with them. Um, even, he even had a special handshake and greeting with my boys that nobody knows what it means except for the three of them. And whenever they see each other, they do that and they laugh. Um, he, was a, he was a joker. Um, I do know that when, when Juanita got sick, um, it was very difficult for him. And honestly, it's the first time that I saw that side of him, the, the pain of Juanita being sick. Um, so at 70 years old, he boarded a plane for the first time in his life for Juanita. And I remember the, the worry he had to get on that plane and I kept running through what it was like to go through the airport, get on the plane, um, get on the other side. And so the day I had to drop him off at the airport to go, he went. And when I knew he was safe on the ground on the other side, I called him and I said, Dad, how was it? And he said, oh, it was fine. I don't know why I didn't do this sooner. <laughs> um, so with Juanita, um, he... It meant a lot for him to be here, and he, he really struggled with, with her being sick and being sick for so long. Um, when he got sick, um, he told me that he, um, he started crying and he said, I'm gonna miss everybody. And I just said, Dad, you're not going to miss us. We're going to miss you. You'll be in heaven, and there's no sorrow or pain, and, but we'll see you again. And then after that, he wanted to know what heaven was like, and he had lots of questions and just was kind of nervous about it because this is the first time he's doing that. <laughs> um, 
And to me, that was a natural reaction for him um, because he worried about all of that kind of stuff. But um, Solomon and I had gone, and I know several of you have come and sat with him and prayed with him and just um, were there for him. Um, and I believe he was at peace because he started saying, I just want to go home. And I was so thankful that he was at peace with that. Um, but I do want to say to you all here, to the body of Christ here at Suba Road, my sisters and I just thank you so much for taking my mom and dad in in such a difficult time in their life, loving on them, supporting them um, during Juanita's illness and passing, the friendship and fellowship, encouragement and kindness has not gone unnoticed and honestly made a world of difference to all of us. Um, I don't think that he would have been able to get through it without you. And please feel my heartfelt gratitude for all of you. And I love you and just thank you.
Thank you for that tribute. 1940 was a year filled with turmoil in our world. Turmoil and conflict, Hitler and Mussolini were in power. They were attacking their neighboring countries. In 1940, Winston Churchill succeeded Neville Chamberlain as the British Prime Minister. And the miracle of Dunkirk saw the rescue of over 300,000 Allied troops from certain defeat. Here in the U.S., our country watched what was happening in Europe with grave concern, and yet life continued on. In that year, Franklin Roosevelt became the United States' first third-term president. The first McDonald's was opened in San Bernardino, California. Bugs Bunny, the cartoon character, first debuted. Grapes of Wrath, Gone with the Wind, and Rebecca were popular movies of that year. But for our purposes, most significantly on November 26th, 1940, Frank Ramos Longoria entered into this world. His birth is a unique story in that he was born in a barn in Corpus Christi, Texas, and he was delivered by his uncle, whose name was Frank. He was the youngest of five siblings. When I asked his family how they would describe Frank, you will hear a lot of the same things that you just heard. He was a reserved and simple man. He had a great sense of humor. If you knew Frank, you can picture him with that smile on his face. He had a great sense of humor. One of his favorite questions, I'm told, was, do you want to hear something funny? Frank was a very caring father, grandfather, and husband. He was a worrier because he loved his children and his family. He was very protective of his daughters, whom he loved immensely. He also loved his Los Angeles sports teams, the Dodgers and the Lakers. He loved UCLA as he had worked there for several years. Lord providentially and graciously brought Mary into Frank's life at a crucial but painful time for him. He did not yet know Christ at that point, and his mother was suffering from severe illness. And through those circumstances, Mary was able to lead Frank to a profession of Christ. Again, that was a struggle that he worked through through his life as we heard the letter from his pastor. But later, Frank would even lead his own parents to the Lord. Frank and Mary would be married and live to celebrate 55 years of marriage together. Through all the ups and downs, the joys and sorrows of his last weeks and days, he asked to hear the gospel again from his daughter and his son-in-law. And in his pain, he asked to hear God's word, the Psalms read to him. They brought him peace and comfort while he was in agony and hardship. Frank was well loved by his family and his church family, and he will be greatly missed. Yet we do not sorrow without hope, because to the best of our knowledge, the God of all comfort knew Frank as one of his own children. This afternoon, we have gathered to share our sorrow, to seek the comfort of the scriptures, prayer, 
and the fellowship of God's people. I want to spend just a few moments considering perhaps the most well-known psalm in the Bible, Psalm 23. The remarkable thing about Psalm 23 is that it is so simple and beautiful. And I think because of this, we naturally assume that its beauty, its simplicity is where the psalm's comfort comes from. But actually, the comfort of Psalm 23 comes from its strength, from its depth. Commentator Derek Kidner writes, Depth and strength underlie the simplicity of this psalm. Its peace is not escape. Its contentment is not complacency. There is readiness to face deep darkness and imminent attack. And the climax of the psalm reveals a love which moves toward no material goal or some temporal peace with circumstances, but to the Lord himself. One of the reasons it has such an attraction for us is that we all hunger for such an authentic experience with God that we see in these verses. And we have a personal witness to that experience in the psalmist that's bringing us a step closer to that relationship. The psalm says, the Lord is my shepherd. King David is going through difficult times in his life. He's being despised again, abused by his enemies. He feels completely overwhelmed by temporal circumstances. So like we see so often in the Psalms, David responds in a godly manner. He cries out with what he understands to be true of his God. The Lord is my shepherd. If a Psalm could ever stand on a single line, it's this one. Shepherd is perhaps the most intimate metaphor used in the Psalms. Think of all the different metaphors we hear of God in the Psalms. There's powerful metaphors such as king and deliverer, rock and shield. They've all been used to describe God. But those are comparatively distant and can even be somewhat impersonal terms. But here we have our shepherd. The shepherd lives with and among his flock. He's everything to it, provider and protector and physician. As the shepherd, the flock is his life. And the sheep live because of his care. This is the thought. This is the picture that the psalmist provides to us, that David was comforted by in his time of need. God Almighty himself The maker of heaven and earth, the sustainer of all things, is David's shepherd. It's personal. Isn't this a good shepherd to have, to know? This is a shepherd who goes beyond dealing with just daily provisions and protection. Though he does all of that, he cares for David's very heart and soul. Verse 2 says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You see, this isn't just about refreshment. It isn't like we picture like one of those soap commercials, the Irish Spring soap commercial, where we see a guy showering in a beautiful mountain stream and he's all happy and he's smelling the beauty of that soap. And that's his refreshment, right? It's not like he just needs a breath of fresh air. This is spiritual. He restores my soul. God guides David in honoring him. 
Therefore, the psalmist can say in verse 4, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Our shepherd does not provide comfort by keeping his sheep from trials. The shepherd doesn't always lead away from the trials, but by providing his presence to them in the midst of those hardships. All other guides turn back at this point. They all fail at this point. Our doctors, therapists, counselors, life coaches, teachers, family members, and friends, they can't give us what this shepherd alone can provide. The psalmist, because the Lord, the great shepherd, takes him through that dark valley, finds comfort at even the darkest moments. One night, David Livingston in the heart of Africa was surrounded by hostile, angry tribes. He strongly tempted to flee. He read the Lord's words, Go, therefore, and teach all nations. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. He wrote in his journal, It is the word of a gentleman of the most strict and sacred honor. So there's an end of it. I will not cross furtively tonight as I intended. I feel quite calm now, thank God. Years later, when he was receiving an honorary doctorate from the University of Glasgow, he said, Would you like me to tell you what supported me through all the years of exile among people whose language I could not understand and whose attitude towards me was always uncertain and often hostile? It was this, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. And he concludes, on those words, I staked everything. And they never failed. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. The presence of the good shepherd provides us with peace and comfort, even in a time of sorrow and loss. Do you know this shepherd? Do you know him as your own? Can you say, you're with me? You're my shepherd. As the psalmist continues, there's a second deed or action that the shepherd does. It says in verse 5 and 6, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. All the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So the metaphor now changes. The shepherd becomes the host. You see, what is being promised here is not merely surviving death, but triumph. It's victory. It's a homecoming party. King David knows that the Lord is his host, a good host who's prepared for him a home and a place at his table so that to be made part of God's family is to be a part of it for all eternity. What I love about this psalm is how timeless it is. It's not just some ancient text where we read and say, well, that's good for David. I'm glad it helped him in his moment of hardship. No, we can today truly find comfort here ourselves. In times like this, because as we read our Bibles, the Lord God has come into history. He's come as our shepherd to lead us through the valley of the shadow of death. 
See, Jesus says of himself in the Gospel of John, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He proves that he's the shepherd of Psalm 23. And we know that he did. The shepherd became the slaughtered lamb. He gave his life on the cross in our place, paying for our sins, taking our punishment in order to open up that way to the Father's house. So Jesus says, in my Father's house are many rooms. I go to prepare a place for you. The shepherd is now the host waiting for his flock. You see, the comfort And strength of Psalm 23 is not in its beauty, but in its truth, in its reality. So today, here's truth to hold on to. The Lord is with you as the shepherd, if you know him as your savior. He's with you today and will be with you through eternity. As we conclude this service, the Longoria family would like to invite you to a brief reception. They'd love to be able to greet you and get the opportunity to fellowship together. The light refreshments will be in our pavilion straight across the parking lot, uh, straight across from our lobby. Let's close our time now with a word of prayer. Father, bless us now as we conclude this service. May we learn from looking at the certainty of death, the importance of walking with you today. May death be the teacher that you intend it to be. May it be the goad that encourages us to walk and know and love our Christ. And may we find our hope and joy in Jesus Christ, our Savior. Your word tells us, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. So we rejoice today that Frank is now perfectly content, perfectly joyful, in the presence of our most precious Savior, Jesus Christ. We ask that you would please care for his family through us, through one another, through each other, by your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.